You're listening to episode 178 of the Pastor Writer Podcast, conversations on reading, writing, and the Christian life. I'm your host, Chase Replogle. Well, it's an honor to have an old friend on the podcast today. Jason and I grew up together in the same hometown, and he has a new book coming out, which he joins me to talk about. We also talk about his uh, relationship with Bob Goff, the importance of mentors in your life, intentionally finding people that you want to become more like. And uh, we spend quite a bit of time talking about how the pastor's primary task is believing in people, seeing the potential through grace, through the power of the Holy Spirit. For a better life that people can grow into. I think it's a really important reminder. It resonates so much with the way I think about pastoral ministry as well, too. But uh, Jason has a way of putting it through narrative and story and personal transparency that I think makes it really powerful for a lot of people. Thanks again for all of you who have been picking up the five masculine instincts. It's been doing well, and I owe you all the thanks for that. And as always, thanks for listening. Well, I'm joined on the podcast today by Jason Patterson. He's the lead pastor of Parkside Church in Fisher, Indiana. Before founding the church, he traveled widely speaking at churches and events all over the country, really around the world. Jason lives with his wife and three children in Indianapolis, where uh, he's also been a longtime friend of, of, of me. We've kind of grew up in the same area and known each other for a long time. And so it's always a, a treat to get to have uh, not only great authors on the podcast, but authors I can count as friends as well, too. And that's certainly the case with Jason. He's got a new book coming out. Uh, the book is titled From Your Biggest Fan, Discovering the Potential of Those We Love and Lead, a book I got a chance to read an advanced copy of and really, really enjoyed and found uh, a lot that resonated with my own views on ministry and uh, pastoral ministry, but really some things that challenged me and made me think in new ways as well. And so I'm excited to be able to have that conversation. Jason, it's a privilege to have you on the podcast. Thanks for joining me. Well, uh, maybe we could start off by talking a little bit specifically about this idea that pastoral ministry is related to recognizing the potential of people and why that idea has become so important for you. Yeah. I mean, that's in, that's really the, at the heart of, uh, of my book. I, I, uh, I have a, a quote I'll share and it's from somebody that, that we both deeply uh, admire the, uh, the one and only Dr. Jim Bradford, um, and I'll, he, he said, says it this way, he says that we're called to be people's cheerleaders. Um, he said, in my view, my primary purpose as a pastor, as a servant leader is serving people's potential. I've, I've always got to be helping people visualize their potential and cheering it on. And it's like, uh, you know, I don't think I could say it better like myself. So like, I, I love that, that heart that he has. And I, I love that. Um, I really think that it, that it is the ball game. Um, that's as a pastor, seeing the potential in God's people it, like that, that is, it's a part of our primary job and responsibility. Um, I'll say it this way, maybe to, to try to frame it for why I think it's so important. Like whenever we talk about what we do as pastors, what we're called to do um, as followers of, of Jesus, I think there's kind of two sets of reasons for why we do what we do. Um, there's the foundational reasons and there's the inspirational reasons. And the foundational reasons are universal, like they don't change. They're the same for all of us. Uh, And then the inspirational reasons are the ones that are unique. It's like the specific like things God uses in our lives to inspire us to do the foundational things, if that makes sense. So like discovering people's potential to me is just inspirational language for the foundational calling to make disciples. Like that, that's the job, right? I mean, like that's what we, we do. Like, um, like we, we don't um, like really write our job description, so to speak, as pastors in the ultimate sense. Like we each have one according to our own giftings and our church context and all that kind of stuff. But like, like that is the deal. Like we're called to make disciples. Um, you know, it's, it's like, you know, to give it biblical context, it's like, you know, first Corinthians 12 talks about all the, the gifts of uh, each member of the body of Christ and why every person has different giftings. And that's what makes them unique. And that's what makes them um, important. It's, um, it's like the old story of, of, of stone soup. Everybody just brings what they have and, and they throw it in. And it's like, everybody's life is an ingredient we need in the church. Like God made each of us specifically and uniquely. And like our job is to figure out who people are and how Jesus made them and how he gifted them and how he wired them and um, what they bring to the, the, the body of Christ. Like the church just isn't complete without 
each of us. Like that's how God designed it to work. And so that's part of, I think, the beauty um, of what it means to be a pastor. And that's why I love the way that um, Dr. Bradford puts it. It's, it's just like he says, my primary purpose is is serving people's potential and, and cheering it on. And I, I love that. So for me, um, that language like it that's in the book um, and the, the heart of it is it's really just uh, inspirational language for the primary job we all have, which is making disciples. One of the challenges I feel like pretty quickly in ministry, you and I are both pastors that that I recognized was this constant drift towards ministry as an abstraction, people as an abstraction that a congregation turns into, particularly if you're in a context where you don't know everybody's name, you may not know the people all out, that the church can move from being actual people to sort of a, an abstract idea, people, a church. Uh, you write in the book specifically about having a vision for people, which struck me as as uh, an important distinction from the way many of us were taught to have vision for a church, that we have a vision for our ministry, that you like this idea of actually having a vision for people, which I think pulls it out of that abstractness. Maybe you could talk about that idea as opposed to the way many of us were instructed to think about pastoral vision or church vision. Yeah. Oh, okay. This, yeah, this is a big one. So maybe we'll start with like, you know, vision for ministry or vision for, for your, your church. Cause I think we, I think this is a really great thing that we do really weird stuff with. <laughs> like, um, you know, like I, I think every pastor and every leader should have a clear and compelling vision for their church. I do. And we talk about this, uh, lot in the every church. conference. Yep. All the time. Yes. So. <laughs> like, Oh my word. And okay. So let's like, um, let's talk about the good here. Like the reason we talk about it is because it matters. The problem is, is that it's become the only thing that matters. And that's where you get like weird and wonky stuff that, that starts to happen. Um, when, when like the entire ball game come becomes the mission or the vision that somebody has for their ministry, the, the mission uh, of the church or the purposes of the church. Again, that's like that, that um, foundational category that I talked about a minute ago, every church on earth exists for the same purpose. It's make disciples. We don't get to, I think it was Rick Warren who said, we don't, de- we don't develop the purpose of the church. We discover it because it already exists in the heart of the guy who's actually in charge. Right. Like, yeah, that's good. You know, so like there's one guy who's the actual shepherd of our churches. And then there's all of us who are the under shepherds. And I think sometimes we kind of forget that when it comes to like our vision, what, what our vision is, what we mean, I think, or what we should mean as pastors when we say that is that the, the vision we have is like the way God is helping us to see how we can contextualize his vision for his church to our time, our culture, our community. Um, it's, it's how we think we can best pull off the dreams Jesus has for his church. But that's what I think we should mean when we say that we have a vision for our, our church. It is something that matters, but good grief. It's not the only thing that matters. Um, so please, like for Jesus sake, right? Like have a compelling and a clear um vision for your ministry of how you think God is calling you to accomplish the things he's calling all of us to do. Um, and, and I, I'm a, a friend and I'm going to borrow from him because I think he says this really well. Um, and this starts to transition into making the distinction between vision for your ministry and vision for, for people. Um, I have a friend, his name's Bob. Um, and he, he said it this way. It's, it, it's actually in a podcast. It's like, it's absolutely incredible. It's, it's, it, Bob Goff is, is the, the one I'm going to borrow from. And it's in a podcast between him and um, Craig Rochelle. It was in an episode of Craig's leadership podcast. And this is what Bob said about like how he leads his organizations. And he said, that, he says, my job is to point to the horizon and tell everybody where we're going, which is again, like you said, like, that's what we hear about in every single ministry conference we ever go to. Like you just point to the horizon and tell everybody where we're going. That's that corporate dream or vision that you're like trying to accomplish. And then here's what Bob says though. And this for me was like, this was so helpful. I talk about it in in the book um, in a chapter called moonshot. Um, But Bob says that then he spends no time trying to get anybody on his page. He says, I just point to the horizon and tell everybody where we're going. I don't spend any time trying to get anybody on my page. He says, I spend all my time trying to get them on their page. 
And this is, I think, the step that is missing for so many of us in ministry is that we point to the horizon and tell everybody where we're going. And then we make the mistake of spending literally all of our time trying to get everybody on our page. And that's the mistake because then it becomes all about us and our vision. We get really narrow. And then it's like the only thing we're serving, like to borrow from um, Jim Bradford's language again, like the only thing we're serving is this vision that we have. And we're not really serving and stewarding the potential of God's people. So when Bob says, I spent all my time trying to get them on their page, that's like his language for what I feel like I'm trying to say in the book is that we, we, then we dedicate our entire lives to trying to help people discover who God made them to be and whether their page goes with our page. And like, we make the same book, so to speak, that, that they help us accomplish that corporate dream that we have for our ministry or our church. Like that's literally just not up to us. Right. Like that's actually up to Jesus. But what happens in ministry is we we spend all our tra- time trying to convince everybody that their page should go in our book, that they have to help us run our race, that they have to get us toward like our finish line. And I don't think that's the job. I don't think that's our concern, actually. Like, because like I'll say it this way, like when, when we invest um, into people's lives. Like when we pour our lives into the people that God brings around us, that we love, that we pastor, that we like shepherd, we don't actually know who they're going to be for us. That's not up to us. That's up to Jesus, right? The only thing we can know is who we're supposed to be for them. And we're supposed to be the person as a pastor who serves and stewards their potential. But if where they go with their potential, so to speak, and what they do with their potential is actually not going to help us with the vision we have for our ministry, that we should be okay with that. And I think that oftentimes we're not. Um, We really live, we get so focused on our own vision that we forget that every individual is a person made by God and that our job um, is to help them figure out who they are and to help them figure out kind of, again, to just borrow from Bob's language, where their page goes. And it just doesn't matter whether it goes in our book or like they need to go write their own book or whatever. Like we're not in charge of that. What we can be in charge of is, is getting to their finish line with them and running their race with them. And that's like what I mean by having vision, like for people, because um, where this gets like really um, it can get kind of ugly is when we start to view people like they're a commodity, like that they exist to help us accomplish our dream. When I think, again, as pastors, it's really important. You should have a corporate dream like, oh, my goodness, please have one. Please, like, be clear about what it is and, and make it, you know, compelling. But, but then don't spend any time trying to convince anybody to be a part of it. That's God's job. You spend all your time making sure you get to be a part of their life and helping them become whoever God made them to be and accomplish whatever God planned for them to do. Like Ephesians 2.10, that there's good things he planned for all of us long ago. Um, and like, like I said, I think that, that like, that's the step that we're, we're missing. Um, we just, we, we communicate what we feel like God's calling us to do, but then we make that like our only, um, you know, focus, um, you know, we were talking about church conferences, um, and, uh, you and I were both just at one of the church multiplication network, the CMN conference. And, um, there was a, a pastor, um, from Minnesota named Nate Roosh, who preached a phenomenal message. And um, he said in that message, he, he reminded all of us as pastors um, concerning our staff members that we don't own people. And like, I found that really fascinating, right? Because like, on the one hand, it's like, why in the world would one pastor need to ever remind other pastors that we don't own people? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that ought to be like, just patently obvious uh, that we don't own people. And like, let's be clear, there is not a single person, there's no pastors in that conference who actually believe that. That's not the issue. The issue is that we subconsciously um, can kind of act like we do. In other words, like that the only reason God gave anybody a gift is to make our vision become a reality. I think that's the mistake, if if that makes sense. I think that's where we like we, we go wrong um, with the difference between having a vision for our ministry, which matters, but then having just vision for people, 
which is like, we're just trying to get them on their page and help them discover who they are. And then whatever they do and wherever they go, um, we just have to be really secure, right? About that. Uh, and just be really open-handed um, with God's people um, and give our lives to helping them become the person God made them to be without worrying about um, we're offering them an invitation to be a part of the corporate dream like that we have, like for maybe our ministry or our church. But what we should really be hoping for is that we get an invitation from them to be a part of their life and the personal dream that God has for them and for their family. Yeah, there's there's so much there that I resonate with. And I think a lot of listeners are probably shaking their head because most of us, most of <laughs> us who have been in the church long enough, not only know what it is as a pastor to have that vision, but also as a person in a church to feel sometimes like a volunteer commodity, right? Like the, the, uh, the uh, renewable resource that we can just sort of use to keep the engine running. I was thinking, though, about, you know, one of the things you always hear at these conferences is, of course, you hear the proverb. Uh, without vision, the people perish. You know, this is sort of the the go to for why you have to have vision. But a big part of that can be we always think of it as a person with a vision that everyone else understands and moves toward. But perhaps part of that proverb also has at its root an idea that we're helping people cultivate vision for themselves, and that that vision may not just be where we're going and how we're going to get there. That vision may just be what is God doing? Uh, and what does it mean to bring my life into conformity with that here or elsewhere, as you're saying? Um, that I think that's a really powerful idea. And for a lot of pastors, maybe a, a new way of thinking about it, the way you're presenting it. What has been your experience with that commodification of people in the church, the way that sometimes as leaders, as churches, we can start to, to use people and stop seeing them as people in some of the worst forms? Yeah. Oh, goodness. Um, well, first, uh, I'll say, um, you know, something that I think is really important um, is when, when we get to an issue like this, it becomes real easy for me, for you, um, kind of, and maybe for a lot of our listen, listeners to point fingers um, and kind of go, oh, man, like, I, I hope so and so hears this. Yeah, you know I, know, what I, mean? I know what church you're talking about. So yeah, I'm yeah. Thinking, oh, yeah. gosh, like people are like literally, you know, naming leaders in their mind right now. And I think one of the absolute most important things for us to realize is that um, we are all perfectly capable of becoming the very thing we're trying to avoid. Um, that when maybe we've been treated this way or we've been hurt, maybe there's like a lot of our friends who are listening who have been kind of down this road and they're nodding their head because they're like, oh, yeah, man, I got I got treated like that. And they didn't feel very valued and they didn't feel very cared about and they got treated like a commodity. Um, and I just want to say to them, man, really guard your heart. Because if you don't let Jesus into all those areas um, and you've got, we, I talk about it in the book, in my journey too, like unresolved pain is a really unreliable co-pilot. Um, and if you let it be the one navigating where you're going, um, you can actually wind up being the very thing, again, that you just are, are passionately against. So I think that's a really important thing for us to say is that none of us are exempt from this danger. This is a, we should talk about it, uh, not because other people have fallen into the trap, but because we're all perfectly capable of falling and following into it, uh, falling into it. Uh, it like, it may be like, I'll, I'll, um, I'll, I'll give a, uh, biblical context, kind of the answer of like how this, like, um, how you like, you see this, um, and how this works out and kind of, um, there's, there's the amazing, you know, passage, um, and conversation in Mark chapter 10, where, you know, <clears throat> James and John come to Jesus and they're like, Hey, when you come into your kingdom, can we sit on your right and left? And Jesus basically goes, you guys have no idea what you're asking for. Right. Um, and then there's that, that beautiful um, way that Jesus concludes that, that story where he talks about how um, people like lead and use authority in the world. And then he tells his followers like, Hey, just so you know, like, I'm clearly paraphrasing here, but Jesus is like, Hey, just so you know, like you can't do what the world does. Like Jesus goes, you guys know how the people in the world use influence and authority and the people who have the wealth and like all of that, like, you know, how the powerful use their power. They survey all the people at the bottom, so to speak. And they do end up helping certain people who are at the bottom. But the way they determine who they're going to help is by trying. It's like their best guess 
of who they think will do them the most good and benefit them the most. They only help people if it will benefit them. That's Jesus says, that's how the world uses like influence and authority and power and all this stuff. And Jesus is like, not so with you. And then he gives the beautiful verse, Mark 10, 45, that we could all quote, right? And Jesus is like, I didn't come here to be served. I came to serve everybody. And I'm going to sort of prove it by giving my life as a ransom for, for all of you. Um, and what, where we get into trouble is when we just do what Jesus told us not to do. <laughs> like, I, Jesus said, don't operate like this. But where people get um, treated like commodities is when we go like talent hunting as pastors. Um, and we want to discover what's in people, but we only want to invest in the people who we think will reap us the greatest benefit. And that's where the corruption happens. And that's where the hurt happens. And that's where the, the uh, in the like extreme cases, just to be frank, that's where the abuse happens. And let's be clear again, there's not a single one of us who has a journal entry, you know, where we sat down one day and went, dude, you know what I really want to do is I want to just like figure out how to treat people like they're a commodity for me to use for my own benefit. <laughs> Yeah, there's no, there's no, there's no strategy meeting with a whiteboard, and you're like, you know, if we manipulated a few more people, I think we could move this thing forward. <laughs> right? If there was, it was like everybody would bail like after lunch that day. I mean, like clearly nobody would stick around. This is all subconscious. This is all rooted, frankly, in our insecurities. Well, you bring it up perfect because you mentioned that word a minute ago, and I know you write about it in the book. And this was uh, as you were talking, I was thinking the same thing that this is going on partly because there are unresolved things in my own life. And that's a big part of your book. It's not just here's the work we need to do and how we need to do it. It is also yeah. looking at your own insecurities and how they, they, uh, they, they form this problem. Maybe you could talk for a minute about the dangers of insecurity when it comes to ministry and what that journey has looked like for you as a pastor as well. Yeah, for sure. And like, just like a note about the book really quick, just to kind of frame it for, um, for our friends again, who are, who are listening, um, like I, I didn't write this book um, because I am the person or leader that I want to be. I wrote it because I'm starting to have clarity on the person and leader I want to be. Um, like, and I, I just like, if I can see insecurity, you know, at times in others, it's like the, the old deal. It just, it takes one to know one. You know what I mean? Like I can see it in others. Cause I see it so much in me. Um, and it is, it's so dangerous. I'll, I'll borrow again um, from, from somebody else's wisdom to try to frame this. Um, Craig Rochelle said it this way, um, he, and I just love this quote. He said, um, when, when we lead from our insecurity, it's hard for anyone to win. And he's exactly, exactly right. Because when, when we're leading from our insecurity, um, that what, what that causes us to do um, when we're insecure, is it, it puts us in a position where we need a gift from those who follow us. Um, and we're trying to get these people to follow us because there's like something in us that we need them to fulfill. And we need their appreciation and we need their applause and we need their acknowledgement. Like we need a gift. And when you lead from a, a place and we're all on this journey, this is a process. This is like a spectrum. This is not like a deal of like, oh, I've arrived. You know what I mean? Like this is just about making like progress. Um, like it, like I think the one of the ways I said it in the book is when it comes to like my own insecurities and in, in this, it's like, I don't, I don't know what lap I'm on. I just know that it's the right race. And I don't know what lap you're on either, but I just think it's the right race for us too. that race away from insecurity, away from not feeling like good enough, um, you know, toward like security and, and, a, and, and a, an appropriate biblical sense of like self-worth. Because what happens when we move from insecurity to security is we no longer need a gift from those who follow us. Our leadership becomes a gift to those who follow us. And for me, like that, like realization, um, which is just something that I saw in other people's leadership, like, um, you know, when people, um, you know, if they get a chance to read the book, they'll, they'll discover that, um, that one of the reasons I, I wrote the book is because I have a spiritual hero is my wife's grandfather. He passed away in 2017. Um, but he was my spiritual hero. 
And he was one of the most secure leaders I've ever known and ever seen. And I saw this play out so beautifully in his leadership. And I was honestly just, I was stunned and it was so inspiring. And I really, I saw the way he used his ministry and at the platform that he had created and all of this stuff, like he, but he just used it for the benefit of everybody but himself. And I was like, that's, it's so Jesus, right? It's so, I didn't come to be served by all of you. I came just to serve you. Like God maybe has given me all these things, but I'm just going to use them for everybody else's benefit. And that honestly, that just like, that inspired me. It, It like blew me away. And I just, again, like I was, that helped me to get clarity on where I'm trying to go. Like, I want to be that way. I, I want to lead that way. And it's not easy. Um, and it's a really unenjoyable way to live when we need a gift from those who are around us, rather than being able to be the gift that, that they need, which I think is, again, a big part of our calling as, as pastors. And we don't have to be perfect. Thank God, right? Like We don't have to be perfect. We just have to be in the process. Part of what seems to make it so challenging is this is not, it, as you describe it well, it's not the way of the world. I mean, Jesus is saying yeah. to his disciples, you don't lord it over them like the Gentiles do, like the world does, how it thinks about power and success and leadership. Um, there's also, in addition to that sort of like corporate model of you know ministry, there's this also kind of just sense of pessimism and negativity towards people that I think culture is sort of seeped in right now, having a hard time believing in anything, believing in anyone, con- the, the conflict constantly between people. I feel like every time you, you, know, you meet somebody, they're tr- you're trying to figure out where they stand on political issues, which you can or can't talk about. Um, the book is filled with so much optimism about people. And it struck me as something I really wanted to spend some time reflecting on in my own life too. How do we live in a world where it is so pessimistic, so constantly negative, where people do say terrible things and do terrible things and we get frustrated with people and yet still hold on to an optimism about the people that we encounter, the people that we know, the people that we're called to pastor. Yeah. Oh man, that's, that's a really great question. And like, um, again, like people will discover (laughs) when they read the book, I am a gold medal winning pessimist. Like, it's just so ironic that you're asking me how to do this. And it is the book really like, you're right. It is, it is full of, of, um, optimism. Um, and I, it, I mean, like, as, you know, as a fellow author, maybe this will resonate with you, but like, we just, I think we write the books we need. Sure. Yeah. We, we write the stuff we're trying to figure out Yeah, really for ourselves first. A hundred percent. And and I think every pastor who's, who's listening can resonate because we do this with our sermons too. Like we, we are preaching to ourselves so many Sunday mornings. Um, and uh, man, this has been a big journey for me. I grew up in a really pessimistic and, and um, just negative environment to be, to be honest. Like I, my parents are, are great, but they're just like all of us, not perfect. Um, and like It was just not um, a place that was, that was filled with that. And then like, also just like full disclosure, like, I mean, maybe, uh, you know, you've done some of the kind of different personality tests and people sort of love and are passionate about different ones, but uh, I just care about whatever one was helpful for you. And one that was helpful for me was the Enneagram and I'm a one. So anybody who's familiar with that, you know, I'm the perfectionist. And so the way I always like to say it is as a recovering, like perfectionist, um, I'm really, really trying to grow here because I see what's wrong with everything and everyone by default uh, and with me too. So um, it can be really crippling because my inner critic is the loudest voice in my head. Um, like I don't need anybody else to criticize what I do. Cause I literally do that like all day long. Like it's so um, it's, I like literally live in a negative environment in my own head. And it's really hard to get my own voice to shut up. So this is a big one for, for me. Um, and I think like I, I can, all I can offer here are just some of the things like I'm, I'm trying. Um, and the, the first one is I seriously have um, worked very, very hard to surround myself with optimistic people. Um, you know, I think we all have these people like, um, you've got those friends that like when you're with them, they make a bad mood impossible. You know, those kinds of friends that I'm talking about, they're just like, there's just something about them. They're so just like fun. And they're often they're like, they're just funny. And 
Um, they're just life giving. They're maybe, maybe they're like kind of not on that, that end of that spectrum, but they're just those people who like have this inner calm, you know, that just like helps those of us who are in more, more choppy waters. <laughs> like, I think honestly, like if you're, if you're struggling, which I think we all are, like you said, just because of the world we live in and the culture we live in right now, where there's so many subjects you have to like tiptoe around. Cause you never know which one's going to make somebody literally explode. Um, and, and like believing the best about people in, in a world that only sees the, the negative. I think, you know, find the people who are further along in the journey than you and spend a ton of time with them. And I got real serious about this. Like there's some people like I like um, I, I don't just like, you know, try to hang out with them. Like some of them don't live near me and I don't just try to talk to them on the phone. I jump on a plane and I like literally go spend time with life giving positive you know, optimistic people who help me see the best in myself. Like they're people who are discipling me. Um, and I try to spend a lot of time with them as a way of, of growing out of um, my extremely, extremely negative um, self. <laughs> I talk, you know, this is, there's a chapter literally in the book called choosing positivity. Um, and I don't write about it because I'm awesome at it. Um, but another thing that I did was um, I'm, I, I chose Ephesians 2.10 as my life verse. And um, like the, the, the first sentence of that verse is like the biblical underpinning of my whole book. <laughs> like it's literally the whole book is just an outworking of that one truth. It starts off just by saying, for we are God's masterpiece. And so what I did um, just like in a little, you know, hyper moment of intentionality, I wish I was this intentional all the time. You know what I mean? Um, but I try, I chose a, um, a life verse that helps me focus on what I would otherwise forget. And people who are wired like me forget that people are God's masterpiece because by default, I see everything that's wrong. Um, and I, I literally chose that verse to, to beat into my own head that this is true in God. Oh, my goodness. He like he is helping me. Right. Like to get there. Um, to see the best in people, to see the beauty in people. And we all know the reasons that we struggle to see it in other people and ourselves. Like we're all like a bunch of pastors. We, we know the theological reasons like for this. We know what sin does. Um, but I, I, I tried to be really intentional with who I spend my time with, what I, what I tell myself. I try to tell myself Ephesians 2.10 all the time. Um, and I, I really am, am trying to be what I wrote about in my own book. Um, I'm trying to be the biggest fan of, of those I love and lead. Um, cause I want to, I want to reap what I sow. Like I, I want people to see the best in me cause I need their help cause I'm not good at it. Right. I'm so not good at it. Um, so that was a really long winded answer. Um, and a pretty personal one too, I suppose, which is fine. But uh, yeah, I, I think this is a really important one. And those are just a couple of things. And just, just, there are people in, in everybody's life who are farther along in that particular journey. Um, and just spend a ton of time with them and um, learn how to change what your inner voice tells yourself. Use God's word. Use, um, you know, what 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 other people can speak, you know, into your life and just fill yourself with some better messages. It always strikes me, too, is sometimes the people I find that I'm most impressed by their sense of optimism or when I find somebody significantly older than me, because it does also seem like. Um, I actually write about this in the five masculine instincts on apathy. There's this kind of idea of scientific entropy that things just gradually fall more and more apart. <laughs> things become more and more chaotic. And it feels like as we age, it's real easy to just get more and more jaded, more and more bitter, more and more pessimistic. So when you encounter somebody really significantly older than you, somebody you think of as a mentor type figure who has optimism, there's something just so powerful about that experience. I'm curious. Um, I know Bob Goff wrote the, um, the, the forward to the book, which is great. And I know you've kind of intentionally cultivated a relationship with him. I'm curious if that's one of those people in your life and maybe also how he's impacted you in this way, but also just as a, as a writer as well. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, for sure. So yeah, completely a minute ago when I was talking about like these people I intentionally spend time with. And sometimes I had to jump on the plane. I mean, he is one of those people. He's not the only one. Um, I've got a couple of friends. I, I write about them in the book at, as well. Um, in a chapter, a chapter 15 called tailored to fit uh, my friends, Dan Hunter and, um, 
and Wayne Northup, who are just really life-giving friends for me. And that, and the, I'm always hanging around with them when I'm with the guys um, from, from CMN. So like all, all my friends at CMN too are, are included in that. They're really life-giving people, but yeah, Bob in, in particular, he, he is one of those people, like you said, he's, he's a little farther down the road for sure. Um, but is one of the most unbelievably optimistic people like I've, I've ever met. And, um, and it has been so healthy for me, um, to spend time with him and, and, and just, you know, to, to be honest, like, um, you know, a lot of what I write about in the book, um, like I said, my, my spiritual hero, my wife's grandpa, um, David Maines, who was just, you know, he wasn't perfect, but, um, he was a lot farther, you know, down this, this road as, as well. And was just so good at, at seeing the best in people. And then using this, he was enormously successful in ministry too. Bob is, you know, he's a New York times bestselling author multiple times over. Like he's just, he's, he was a phenomenally successful lawyer before that, like all these things. And he literally just like, he uses all of it um, just to help like those who are around him. And that's just a really beautiful and freeing um, way to live. And, and I, I, I want to be, you know, I want to be like that, but you, you can't, you can't be like that if you're consumed by the, the negativity. So yeah, I've, I've tried to spend as much time as I can um, with him and around him. And, and also just kind of all the people who are in his orbit, so to speak, kind of have a tendency to be more, more like him. So there's just a lot of other wonderful friends that I've met um, while, while hanging out with him. So yeah, he's become somebody who has really impacted me personally. It's just mostly in the fact that his life, um, inspires me. And I'll just, I'll say this just, um, um, out of love and and respect for him. You know, Bob is one of those Christian, uh, kind of Christian famous people, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. um, who that when you meet him, uh, he's even better up close. And that to me, just, that's one of the best compliments I think I can give somebody like he is even better up close. Cause we've all been on the reverse side of that one, right. Where mm-hmm. there was somebody who was like a little bit well-known and then we met them and it was like, Oh gosh, I totally wish I just would have known you from a distance. <laughs> and like, I think that's what we're aiming for though. Right. We're aiming to be better up close. Um, and being optimistic is a huge step in that direction. So whoever those people are, um, you know, Bob does retreats at, uh, his retreat center called the Oaks. Anybody can go just, you know, find one and sign up and go get Bob in your orbit. I think that's a great idea. Um, so like, yeah, personally, he really helps me, um, stay in the lane, you know, stay in my lane in the race I'm trying to run. And then, uh, as a, as a writer, um, is I'm, I'm real, really, you know, passionate about this one as, as well. Um, so years ago, um, I, I started um, a new habit. I started reading the acknowledgments in the back of everybody's books, um, which is probably one of those things that, I mean, I, for a long time, I skipped it. I would imagine a lot of us do. Like some of us skip the foreword. We skip the author's note. We, you know what I mean? Like we were just like, where is chapter one? You know what I mean? Um, but I started reading the acknowledgments and they're all the same. They're everyone is just profusely thanking like a mountain of people um, for helping them. And like, when you read them over and over, like you just, you realize no one writes a book alone, nobody, and nobody should. Um, that doesn't mean get a ghostwriter. <laughs> like that just means like you, you need to have a team of people that help you. Yeah. I completely and agree. So like having those mentors, coaches, um, fellow authors, like, um, and it would certainly like your editor and, you know, um, people like that are just some good friends, maybe your spouse who reads your book and your manuscript as you're, as you're writing it. Um, but, uh, I, like reading those acknowledgements, um, like I made a determination that it, you know, I wanted to write. And I, so I kind of was like a, when, when someday I do that, I am going to have the best team I can like possibly get around me. Um, cause I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> Right? Like I, I just like everybody else, you know, who's ever sat down to write one. It's just, I didn't know where to start. I had no confidence in what I was going to do. Um, and so Bob was a huge help. I got to go on the journey of writing my book with him um, in a coaching relationship. Um, and he was a, a huge, huge help 
um, in building my confidence um, in me. And that's what you need. Um, when, when you're writing, I mean, this is just true in life, you know, but, but when you're writing, you need people who can be confident for you until you can be confident in yourself. And Bob was one of those people for me. And um, it was, it was an incredible uh, experience for sure. Yeah, I completely 100% agree and had the same experience. I I paid a, an editor sort of writing coach who's now kind of become a friend, Mick Silva, that's been on the podcast a couple of times. And I sort of joke that I think I paid him just to tell me, keep going every two weeks <laughs> because you know we had really deep, important conversations around the book. But so much of what I got from it was just that encouragement that it was going somewhere. It was worth continuing to put the work into. Um, I do want to ask you one more writing question, though. Um, sure. So much of the this content we've been talking about has been aimed at pastoral ministry, what it means to lead people, to see the potential in people as a pastor, a minister. Although I think obviously the book's aimed uh, just more broadly than that for anyone as well. But as a writer, I think this is a unique challenge I've been trying to work out as well, too, and that you and I both have books out. We're in that phase of promoting books. We've been in that phase of if you want to publish a book, you've got to build a platform as the advice goes. So much of that can feel like, you know, you kick a book out there and a few people reach out to tell you kind of their experience with it, but you know, there's people reading it. You'll never talk to, um, yeah. how has working through this content, working on this in your own life, how has it impacted you as a writer? And then also the way you think about that career wise, writing books, promoting books, uh, building a platform around those books. How do you do that in the same way that believes in other people and isn't just about you promoting your thing? Yeah. Oh man. Those, those are some deep and uh, great <laughs> Great question. I ask because I'm working. I'm figuring it out as well. So this is know, I'm taking yeah. notes. Oh man, um, I think one of the great things that, that writing a book does is it's one of those opportunities um, that sort of forces you to look in the mirror. Um, and when, when you're writing, this is like language that I got. I mean, this is from Bob. Um, he, he talks about one of the first things you have to do when you're writing is um, he says you have to figure out who are who's in the two chairs. And what he means by that is who's in your chair, like, who are you? And then who's in the other chair? Like, who, who are you writing to? Um, you, you have to figure those two things out. And so for me, the, the, the writing process, which is, again, pastors, this is an easy one. If, if you haven't written a book, like, it's easy for you to relate, um, you know, to, you know, like, like, to this is just like it, it, writing a book is an extremely vulnerable thing. It's a very personal thing. It's just like your sermons on Sunday. You're, you're like, you're putting yourself out there. Right. Um, and with a book, it's just like, you're, there's a lot of scary stuff here, right? Like you're signing up to be misunderstood to a degree. <laughs> yeah. Trust me. I'm fully aware of <laughs> so yeah, masculinity in a title of a book. So yeah. Like Bob, who's really, really secure in who he is actually shows people one star reviews uh, on Amazon from like about his books mm -hmm. and they're brutal. Like they're in there. And he thinks they're hilarious. Like he just cracks up laughing. I'm like, this is super cool for you, bro. I'm never going to look at this. <laughs> um, you know, but it, it's a, it, like writing, writing had, it, it made me really, even at a, a deeper level, look at me and like who I am and be more honest with where I'm at on this journey. And it was just such a, an amazing, um, reminder for me about where I'm really at on this journey. Um, so like, like I, I'm, when you write a book, you really pray that it'll be a gift to other people. Um, but it really wound up being one for me. And, um, you know, so like for me personally, like it was a great experience. Um, writing is a really, really, really difficult one. Like when you said that you, you paid, uh, you know, like a coach to just tell you every two weeks to keep going. It's so real. Like you desperately need people um, in your corner who will tell you to, to keep going, which again, for the subject matter of my book obviously resonates because that's what I'm arguing. We should all be doing for people in our lives. Um but then, man, so for, for us, when, in terms of like building a platform and promoting the book and like, how do you do that? And like, how do you reconcile how kind of ugly that could become or, you know, how awkward it is or how, like, how do you do that and not just feel like you're just being a self-promoter? And uh, that's a great question. Um, you know, for us, we write books because we feel like um, God put something on our heart. And that we're, we're passionate about it. 
And, um, you know, so when, when we're promoting our, our books or, or talking about them, I think, you know, that's something I've found that I have to kind of remind myself of is like, I, I did this because I felt like God was, was making me passionate about something and giving me a message that I, I wanted to share. Um, it was like, for me, it was kind of like, um, I felt like I knew it was time to write the book because I, I felt like if I could only have one conversation with people, this was the one I would have. Um, and so I was really, really passionate about it. Um, but it's like you said, I, this has been a big struggle for me. It's like, <laughs> I was off of social media for three and a half years. It was so wonderfully, you know, just <laughs> free. <laughs> I just was so separated from so much drama, right? And like, I've had to get back on like social media um, because, you know, it's going to be weird. Like if people like read a book and they want to connect with me and they can't even find me on social media. And so I went around and around and around with uh, Bob and some other people about this and decided, okay, I'll get back on. But I, I just, I had a big fight with the whole thing. I didn't want to get back on social media. I didn't want to do this. And, but I think part of the, um, the, 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 the key that's helpful um, just for me anyway, of, of like, I, I want to, I feel like God gave me something to say. So I just, I want, I just want the book to get in the right hands. Like, okay, God, like, who did you kind of like have me write this like for? Like, I want whoever that is to, to um, ha- have the opportunity to read it. And so we've got to like tell people about it. Otherwise, they're not going to have the opportunity. But I think then like there's a step that like is helpful, like for me anyway, to take. And that's where I, I'm trying to um, separate um, the like platform I'm trying to build and the promotion of, of my own book, which definitely feels like self-promotion because it is, I guess, but separate the promotion from the results. Like in the sense of like, I want to promote the book because I feel like that's what I'm being asked to do. Like, you know what I mean? But to just quit caring about what the results are. Cause I think that's what really gets us into trouble is needing a particular result from our book. Um, it's needing it to be this or needing it to sell X number of copies. Or for some people who maybe have um, bigger audiences and things, it's the hopes of hitting certain lists, you know, like maybe hitting, um, you know, number one in the, in, in your category on Amazon bestseller list, or, you know, like a USA today, or obviously again, for certain people, they'd be shooting for like the New York times or whatever, but like, like, like promoting it. Cause again, we feel like, Hey, like, God, you know, called me to write this. So like wrote it, want, want people to know about it, but just, just then not needing a certain result to happen for the book. Cause I think that's more what gets us in trouble is when we um, get, start to get our self-worth wrapped up in, in the result, which again, I feel like every pastor can relate with because we do the same thing with the attendance numbers of our church. <laughs> So I don't know how helpful that is, but um, that's kind of where I'm at on the journey. Yeah, it's really helpful. You you also get a sense too working with publishers that, uh, uh, sorry if any publishers are listening, so often they have no idea which books are going to be successful either, right? Books they think are going to be huge aren't and books nobody expected suddenly are. Like at the end of the day, I just remind myself, I can't make anybody buy a book. You know, I really have to just trust all of that to God. It's the same thing you're saying about it, results. And then, you know, I've been trying really hard to just... Like it still surprises me when people are kind enough to write a review or kind enough to say something sure. on Facebook. I mean, how often do I do that with even books that I love? So right. I just try to have no expectations of anyone. You know, if, if nobody ever said anything about the book, that's okay. Nobody owes it to me. Nobody, you know, it. that's all right. And so then anything anybody does, I try to just enjoy it. Yeah, for sure. Well, the book, Jason, is a real, it really is a great book. It's as long as I've known Jason, he's been a great storyteller. And that comes through so clearly in the book, but it's also personal. Uh, it is vulnerable, although that's an important subject. You model it well also in the writing. And so again, the book is titled From Your Biggest Fan, Discovering the Potential of Those We Love and Lead. I think a great book for pastors, obviously, but I think anybody, um, the way we think about serving people in our family, our friends, our, our own children. I think there's so much in the book for anybody. Um, Jason, the best way for people, now that you've got all the socials lined up, we'll give you that shot. Uh, the best way for people to follow you and also if they're interested in picking up a copy of the book. Yeah, um, they can connect with me. They're, the website associated with the book is, is biggestfanleaders.com. 
then uh, on Instagram, it's just at Jason M Patterson. And then Facebook is, is, is the same um, is Jason M Patterson. Um, and um, I'm not on Twitter. So apologies for all those people. And um I don't even know what the other social media is. <laughs> You're just missing arguments on Twitter. So don't worry. Yeah, right. yeah, for sure. the, so, the place yeah. anyway. So, well, again, the book from your biggest fan, you, uh, definitely check it out. Yeah. So, and they can get it at, you know, the retailer of their choice. They can grab it at Amazon, Barnes Noble, Walmart, like wherever books are sold. Yeah. Great. Well, Jason, thank you so much. Uh, the hard work that's gone into it. Uh, I know firsthand and neither of us are, are celebrities. Neither of us have big ghostwriters helping us out with these projects. These really are just God's moved us to do it and a faithful act of obedience to do it. And I have so much respect for people that are willing to. So um, thank you so much. The time for the interview, but also just a, a great book. Absolutely. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. It's been a blast to be on here with you. You've been listening to the Pastor Writer Podcast. This is episode 178. You can find show notes for today's episode by going to pastorwriter.com slash 178. There you'll find an information to uh, how to follow Jason as well as information about his book. If you haven't already, maybe consider subscribing to the show. I've got some really good conversations coming up with more authors in the weeks ahead. A few of those already recorded and I'm excited to bring them to you. And uh, if you haven't before, maybe consider leaving a review. You can do that by clicking on a star, writing out a short message. It's a great way to help the podcast to help other people find it as well too. As always, thanks for listening. Until next time.